I think leadership really has to acknowledge that if they don't change, they will lose women. You need women, you need diversity, and it's a very important aspect of innovation, growth, and new viewpoints. It's not about does someone fit our culture, it's what do they bring to the table that makes us a more aware company. Welcome to episode five of season four of Starts at the Top, our podcast about leadership, digital culture, and change. I'm Zoe Ammer. And I'm Paul Thomas. Our podcast brings you interviews with leaders from the public, private and third sector who are using digital to navigate uncertainty and forge a path to the future. In this episode, we're sharing our conversation with Joy Foster, entrepreneur and founder of Tech Pixies, an award-winning online course that helps to train women in social media skills and digital marketing. We talk about the rise she's seen in women starting their own businesses, the need for more women in leadership and how a new passion, coaching girls football, is also having an impact on the work that she and Tech Pixies do. Before we get to our interview with Joy, uh, we're recording this Zoe on Black Friday. I'm just checking in to see whether Zoe MR Digital has any Black Friday specials on. Uh, we don't have any specials on ourselves, but I have to admit I have bought a couple of pairs of new leggings uh, just because uh, I had uh, another couple of pairs that were falling apart. Um, so I've, I've restocked my wardrobe. How about you? I was waiting for an Nebo. I've just discovered a new notes taking app on my iPad. Works really well with the Apple Pencil called Nebo. I'm waiting to see if they, uh, it's only about £7, but I'm just, you know, stingy. So I'm waiting to see whether they do any discount. Uh, nothing so far, which is very disappointing. And uh, not really sort of in the big tech space, although my, um, my son spent some of his birthday money on some AirPods, which have just arrived. So he He's going to be excited and I've been measuring up for a new television but I don't think I will buy that on Black Friday I think that's just something to do before before Christmas um but no I don't I don't really it's it's interesting to see it happening and it's interesting to see who opts in and opts out I think Apple famously opt out of it and a number of organizations are trying to do something a bit different I did see an article on um, Wired.com saying that it's the UK. Are we running out of steam in the UK around Black Friday? Because it's not really our thing, is it? Yeah, absolutely. It's always been more driven by the US, hasn't it? Yeah. And I think the thing that everybody's after at the moment before Christmas are games consoles and they're few and far between. They're having to airlift them into the country, apparently PlayStation. So if you can't get them, then what are you going to spend your money on anyway? So yes, we'll skip over uh, Black Friday this year, I think. And anything else that you wanted to talk about in the world of tech developments and news? A couple of tech things caught my eye this week. Uh, the first thing was a brilliant new short film, uh, which has been created by the advertising creative industry based on actual experiences of people of colour working in that industry, which is about microaggressions, what they look like, what the impact is of, of pe on people who experience them. And also just throwing a bit of light on how they actually manifest themselves and uh, what, what the consequences are in, in the long term as much as on, on people's health as well. So please do watch this film. We will put the link to it in the show notes. It's very moving. It's really thought provoking. And I think it's a great education tool as much as a bit of a piece of content which validates the experiences of people of colour like myself. And it's amazing, isn't it? Always amazing to me how much can be got across in a very short space of time. It says, well, I'm looking at it now, I've not watched the film, but it's saying it's four minutes long. Yes, yes, indeed. It's, it's only four minutes. So um, hopefully you'll so, watch it later and let us know what you think of it. I will watch it this afternoon. Is it suitable for my children to watch as well? Because I think these things ought to be shared with, with them. Yes, absolutely. 
So once I've watched it, what can I do and what can people like me do to um, to notice this and to react against it or for it? So my number one tip, and this isn't something that's spelled out in the, the film, but I think is a really good actionable insight from it, is to just try and look at people's behaviour and think about, would I be happy if someone spoke to me in that way? Is someone in this room being treated differently to, to other people? The first step is very much that awareness. I think what makes microaggression so difficult and so damaging to to deal with uh, is because they often seem to be just under the surface it's quite often only the person who experiences them who, who notices them and then that becomes very isolating for that person so I think the first step is just taking that step back and looking at people's behavior and asking yourself is everyone here being treated in the same way and would I be happy if that person spoke to me like that or did that thing that I've just seen and invariably in those cases the answer is no and therefore it needs to be taken seriously yeah absolutely and and I mean there's lots of really good resources out there on allyship uh, and how to support others in in that situation so I would recommend having a look at what's out there and thinking about things that we can do I mean you actually showed me a brilliant example of allyship a, a, a few years ago which I can share with you now which is uh and I won't ne- name the person who who was involved they were not in the charity sector just for clarification but I remember we were at a networking thing uh, and you introduced me to someone who was very very dismissive and I think they had taken one look at me and they were like, oh, woman, woman of colour. Uh, and then you did a lovely thing, which is which is you said, Zoe's got some great experience in this area. You should talk to her. So thank you for that. Well, thank you, Zoe. And thank you for, for noticing. I hope I can do that again in the next instance, which invariably, sadly, there will be another instance. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate what you did. And I also really appreciate what you just said. Thank you. Thank you. The second thing that I think, again, building to our conversation with Joy, Joy by name and Joy by nature, is um, a an article that you shared with me this morning on um, how you break the doom scrolling habit. Yes, absolutely. And I think this has come about because during the pandemic, we've all been spending so much time online and the internet has become a source of sorrow as much as pleasure and this is a lovely lovely article which again we'll put a link to in the show notes uh, written by uh, Pandora Sykes a journalist who's written some uh, a really interesting book recently and it's it's all about it's a very personal article she talks about her experience of postnatal depression which is something that I also experienced after the birth of my youngest child and how that changed her relationship with the internet. And one of the, the ways in which she uh, attempted to, to treat herself, as well as obviously getting therapy and medication uh, and all that good stuff, uh, was she became much more mindful about where she directed her attention when she was online and actually came off some new sites and Twitter feeds completely, which I think is a, a, a really good thing to do, especially during such a time of, of, of stress during the pandemic. So it's all about this concept of joy scrolling where can you go to experience joy and pleasure and happiness uh on the internet because there are still 
things like that out They're there. Believe it, believe it or not, uh, there is some lovely stuff out there online. So it could be that person that you talk to on Twitter. So Wayne Murray, for example, on Twitter, who I know that you know as well, Paul, he always never fails to make me laugh and to make me think and to just be positive and optimistic. And also, I've, I'm a big fan of Tom Daly's knitting feed on Instagram. You can never not smile when you look at that. Beautifully knitted cardigans, cats, Tom Daly. I mean, what's not to like? It's it's, it's just lovely and joyful and happy making. So yeah, the great article about where we can go to to seek out sources of happiness on the internet. Yeah, and I, I was just thinking about that as you were speaking and thinking that the the sources of fun and happiness that I go to aren't necessarily on the internet anymore. Although I have to say that the you and I, I think you introduced me to uh, the Off Menu podcast, which is a constant uh, source of, of joy. If I'm ever feeling like I need a bit of a pick-me-up, I'll just put an episode of Off Menu on and listen to uh, James Edcaster and um, Ed. Gamble. Gamble talking to somebody about food and just being silly and, and poppadoms or bread has become a, a bit of a staple statement in this household I must say we shout at each other on quite a regular basis to mean absolutely nothing so that's always a good place to go but one thing one thing we commented on last night on famille as they say in France was uh, we were sitting watching the the tv and once a week and we're going to have to dig out back episodes of this because we're running out of, of episodes now is Taskmaster I don't know whether you watch Taskmaster, but honestly, for that 45 minutes, because we fast forward through the adverts, but for that 45 minutes, we are just cackling like kids. It's just, it's it's silly, it's it's off the wall, but it's absolutely brilliant. And we sit there and watch it with our um, 13 year old before he goes to bed on a Thursday night. And yeah, constant source of, of joy. You do need to look for them. But I will um, uh, also be addressing my Twitter feed, I think, over the, over the next few weeks, particularly over the Christmas break, because I'm seeing far too much stuff that I don't want to be seeing. And I think going after actually some of these sites that are recommended in the article, some of these accounts and just spending time looking at those uh, more than I look at some of the, the other places I shouldn't spend time is probably a very good idea. Nice. Oh, lovely. Now for our conversation with Joy Foster. I first met Joy a good few years ago now whilst I was working for Grant Thornton. I just happened to be working in Grant Thornton's Oxford office where one of the partners was hosting a meeting and Joy was speaking at it. And this was right at the beginning of the Tech Pixies journey where she'd, Joy had created a social media course. It was aimed at uh, the first cohort of, of women in Oxford and I just sat back and watched it grow from from there did everything I could to support it in my time at Grant Thornton and since leaving Grant Thornton there literally is not a day that goes by when an email from Tech Pixies does not fall into my inbox and fill me with that little bit of sparkle and joy so we had quite a far-ranging conversation with with joy we covered everything from getting women back into the workplace after the pandemic to women starting their own businesses and wanting to do more to be self-sufficient and, and, and start their own thing all the way through to joy's new love of uh, girls football managing her local team and how working with the girls has had an impact on her work so we really hope you enjoy the conversation here's joy foster 
Since 2015, Joy Foster has led Tech Pixies on a mission to help thousands of women upskill with social media in order to return to work, change careers or start a business. Tech Pixies and Joy herself have been recognised nationally for the work she is doing. Most recently in 2021, Joy was named as one of the three finalists in the Digital Impact Awards Entrepreneur for Good category. In 2020, she was named one of the 100 women of inspiration by Pioneers Post and NatWest, as well as Editor's Choice for the We Are The City Rising Star Awards. The Tech Pixie signature course Social Media Magic, which was originally developed by Joy, was named Course of the Year by, in 2020 by Digital Women. When the global pandemic hit the UK in March of 2020, Joy set up and ran multiple free training programmes to help women quickly upskill with modern technology. As a result, thousands of women have now participated in this free training programme, which was featured in The Times. Tech Pixies was also profiled in Forbes for raising £150,000 and Stella Magazine for breaking down barriers for women wanting to reignite their careers. And in April 2019, Tech Nation named Tech Pixies one to watch in the EdTech space. In 2018, Joy won the Startup Director of the Year for London and the South and was the only female finalist in the National Award. Tech Pixies was named Women in Business Startup of the Year in 2018 and Enterprise Nation Female Startup of the Year 2017. Joy is a mum of two. Her husband is Tim Foster MBE, who won the Cox Plus Four rowing gold medal at the Sydney 2000 Olympics. Joy loves sports herself and was once a member of the US archery team from 2004 to 2007, has run three marathons, competed in Ironman Wales and won a gold medal at Women's Henley in 2001. So Joy, I'm feeling slightly inadequate after all of that, but welcome to Starts at the Top. I think you should introduce me to every speaking event I do for the rest of my life. <laughs> That's amazing. Thank you for that introduction. Um, you know, you don't live your life to have a, a, an incredible introduction, but you do live your life to have an incredible life. And, you know, every day I wake up and, and I get to do the things that I love and I've always pursued my dreams and that's the result, you know, and I think that's been a blessing for me. And I think if anyone just listened to that, uh, it's all about just taking one step at a time. The journey of a thousand steps starts with one. And uh, every day, if you're in every way you're improving, you're going to have an incredible life. And that's what it's all about. Yeah, I absolutely love the uh, the start of that, which is the archery, and you know that as a starting point for where you actually end up is 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 unreal. So really, really good to have you on, and thanks for joining us. So let's start with a brief introduction, I guess. You know, why did you start Tech Pixies, and what was your goal for the business? Well, in a funny way, Tech Pixies was almost started by accident. Um, I had created a different social enterprise that was focused on helping teenagers with long term unemployment risks. And it was the mothers of those teenagers who, after seeing the transformation in their teenagers, started saying to me, well, I need a program like this. I want to go back to work. And that's when I thought, oh, I've got an idea here that might help, you know, women who uh, would like to go back to work. And turns out, actually, working with women who've taken a career break is slightly easier than working with teenagers with long-term unemployment risk. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that very often women who've taken career breaks have a, a college degree or a university degree, and they just haven't used it for a while. It's just been sort of sitting on a, on a shelf somewhere. Uh, and it's about reminding them to dust that off and bring it back out and, you know, that they have a purpose to fulfill besides raising children in addition to, right? And a lot of people, when they have children, they sort of think, well, that that's it for my career. And in reality, it's not it for your career. You can have a career and have kids. You can have kids and then a career. You know, you can have a career and then kids. There's there's a lot of flexibility now that we didn't have before. So really, 
it got started by accident. It was about realizing that there was an opportunity to help women who wanted to return to work. And then as it transpires, the environment over the last five years, it's gotten, or six years, it's gotten a lot easier for people to start businesses. So we've had a huge shift in women uh, actually wanting to leave jobs and start up their own businesses to have more financial independence and more financial freedom. And, you know, that's really shifted in the last six years. Um, so we're, we're still working with women who want to return to work, but we have a lot of women who are changing careers and going into a more digital career, more tech career, and often through social media. So really, you know, any good business starts with solving a good problem uh, or an important problem to solve, I should say. And the, the problem we were trying to solve was this gap in confidence for women who had taken a career break and wanted to return to work. And then we started solving the gap in confidence for women who wanted to switch from having a job to having a business and their technology confidence gap. So that original intention has started to, to morph somewhat into supporting women who want to create a new business. Has that accelerated over the course of the pandemic, do you think? Or is that something that's just been, as you said, it's it's been a longer time coming? Massively. It's accelerated massively. And I think part of that has to do with during the pandemic, a lot of women were made redundant. And then they're sitting there going, okay, well, do I want to go find another job or do is this the opportunity I have now, either while they were on uh, furlough, to, whether we're getting paid to not work, to start building up something or, you know, to say, maybe I don't want to do that anymore and take a voluntary redundancy. So we had a lot of women in that position. I think, you know, the shift, if I were to just guess, and I know we have statistics on this, but, you know, six years ago, 70% of the women coming through our program wanted to return to work after a career break. Now it's about 30%. And now it's 70% that want to start their own businesses. And I also think, you know, they've seen me build my business and they've seen me move from a face-to-face -face environment to an online environment. They've seen us grow and strength from, you know, go from strength to strength. So I think also just by the very nature that I love entrepreneurship, I love building businesses, probably a lot of my energy and, and, and chat and talk and, you know, is about the fact that if a woman wants to become financially independent, one of the fastest ways to do that is to create their own business. We have many, many stories in our alumni, you know, story bank of women uh, like Julia, who, when she finally did take the plunge and go out and create her own brand consultancy, she made more in six months than she did the entire previous year when she was working for someone else. I have another amazing woman named Carrie who was on universal credit. She was living with her parents. They couldn't afford to have their own place. She had kids. So it was not just her. It was her and her husband and their kids living with her parents in Wales on universal credit because they couldn't afford to have their own place. As she went through our program, she launched a tutoring business to help parents with children who have math anxiety. By Christmas, she had a goal of five people she wanted to tutor. By Christmas, she had 21. And her problem on our coaching call was, what do I do now? Because I have no time left to do any more calls. And so we talked about how she could pivot her business so that she could open up more spots doing group coaching, et cetera. And so now she's just messaged me, you know, she's, she's just moved out of her parents' house. They've got their own place. Her salary is supporting the family alongside her husband's. She is financially independent. And that is really what it's all about. She's off universal credit and she's building this incredible business and she's making more now than she was ever making as a supply teacher before. So I think it's about seeing, it's about showing women what can happen when you cross the confidence barrier, because that's what we see a lot. If someone has an idea to launch a business and they don't know how to do it from a, a perspective of, you know, the tech and a perspective of, am I good enough? And, you know, there's, there's questions you don't want to ask when you're chasing a dream. And those questions start with how and, and why. You never want to start like, why am I in this situation and how am I going to solve it? What you want to do is who and what? 
who do I call? What do I do? What are the steps I can take forwards towards this dream? And that's exactly what Carrie and Julia did. Who do I need to help me? What am I, you know, what am I going to do? What's the step I'm going to take? So they both took our social media course. They both worked with me in coaching programs and they both moved forwards. And that's, you know, that's, those are empowering questions to ask when you're not sure, you know, if your confidence is a bit knocked, you're sitting there going, ask the right questions, not why, not how, but who and what and move forward. And even with Tech Pixies, when I launched it, that's what I did. I had this idea about launching a digital skills school. At the time it was in Oxford, it was not going to be online. And I remember thinking, who do I call? What do I say? And I picked up the phone and I called Tony Hart and I said, hey, Tony, I've got this idea. And he said, hey, Joy, I've got some money. So apply for the pot of money and we'll see if we can get you started. And within six months, we had the money and the business was off and running. And I didn't even have to invest my own money in the early days to get it off the ground because there was government money available for me to use as a grant to get it off the ground. So, you know, this is the that's the exciting thing for women, I think, in 2021 that we just have not had 10, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, the opportunities for women to start their own businesses, to work flexibly around their families, to work online. It just didn't exist, but it exists now. And any woman who's sitting there going, or man, I mean, it's not just not just women, let's just be honest. But but for me, I specialize in working with women. Any woman who's sitting there going, uh, I don't know if I can do this. Remember these two questions. Who do I need to call? What do I need to do? What's one step I can take today to move forwards towards my dream? Can I ask about the particular qualities that you've witnessed that women bring to entrepreneurship? What are your views on that? That's a great question. Well, of course, we specialize in social media and helping women learn social media, and then they apply that to launching their business, for example, in that entrepreneurial way. And we have identified about 12 transferable skills to social media, which are also transferable as well to entrepreneurship. Multitasking, you know, that's a classic one. Communication, customer service. Women love to serve Uh, And then this is generic, but most women love serving other people. And that's one of the reasons why women have traditionally been in the role of the caregiver and other things, because they have this innate nature where they want to, they want to serve. And, And it's part of that, let's be honest, is epigenetics. So that we're conditioned to do that as well. And I think as society changes, the conditioning will change. And that, you know, even in my own household that we've changed the narrative, we have a different story that we tell our children and and that we model for our children. But traditionally, women are the nurturers. And this has been a huge asset because one of the things that has failed in business is empathy and lack of empathy. So a lot of companies don't have empathy. A lot of companies don't know how to work with people um, in an empathetic way. And I think those are gifts that women have naturally, and we should be leveraging them 100%. And, you know, also, I I would say, uh, like I said, the multitasking is one and the communications is another. But there's there's a plethora of things that we have as women um, that are particularly uh, helpful. And it's also important to understand that some things you're going to be great at and some things you're not going to be great at. And you can either learn to be good at the things that you're not so good at to cross over on the other side. A lot of women will say, well, I don't, I hate the numbers. I don't want to talk about the numbers. Let's not do the numbers. But actually a core fundamental of business is knowing your numbers, is getting familiar with your numbers and getting to know your numbers. And I had to do a huge amount of work on my money mindset in order to be in a position where I was confident enough to raise 150000 to go back out to the market and get another 150000 when I needed it, you know, to be able to crowdfund, to be able to do flash sales, to be able to do the things you need to do in order to keep the business moving forward. So I, I would say, you know, we have some natural traits that work 
work really, really well, but we also need to change the conditioning. We need to uh, acknowledge what an entrepreneurship requires, and we need to step up to the plate and learn that or get someone on board who can help us learn that, because I can tell you the women who know their numbers have much more successful long-term sustainable businesses than the women who don't know their numbers. And that was a lesson I had to learn very early on. But, you know, it comes naturally to me to be empathetic, to be uh, understanding, to want to solve the problem, to keep everybody happy. Those things are also super, super, super important for business. And there's a lesson that I think quite a lot of male-run businesses can learn. Yeah, and as a male-run business myself, that's why I, I try and work with as many female <laughs> females as I can. So is it too far of a leap to sort of talk about the issue, I guess, still that we're still seeing, you know, and this is not necessarily a digital thing, this is more of a leadership issue, but we're still seeing organisations with a, a, a very, very low level of female leadership within them. We saw at the COP26 summit last week where the picture of world leaders was was taken, very, very few women amongst the number. Is there anything that you um, can see or any advice that you would, would give to organisations that are struggling with that balance of, of leadership to, to really think about how they start to redress that balance? Yeah, I think the first thing they've got to do is stop the bleeding. They've got to stop the exit of women from businesses. I mean, I can only give you my story. I was in Switzerland. Uh, I was newly married and I was looking for work and a recruiter was working with me and I was in his office and we were talking about possible job opportunities. And he said to me, tell me what you would love to see in a business uh, and, you know, what kind of a contract you would love and who you want. I don't even think he used the words who, you know, it was more like, what, what do you want? You know, but he said to me, you know, what do you want? What, what would you, what, and I would say, what would you love with this business? And I remember saying to him, I would love to start a family. So it's really important to me that the company that I go work for is in alignment with that and is willing to work with me. I wasn't pregnant at the time. I didn't have a kid at the time. I had just gotten married, but I knew, you know, my husband's 10 years older than me. He was 40. I was 30. We knew we wanted to have a family. We just didn't know how quickly it turns out we got pregnant on the honeymoon. So it actually technically in that conversation, I was pregnant. I didn't know I was pregnant because it was just right after the honeymoon. But what was really interesting about that conversation was he stood me up. And he said, I can no longer help you. And he walked me out the door. So every possible company that I could have worked for and had a massive impact, hopefully, in their businesses never met me because the recruiter himself couldn't present me because he couldn't bring someone into a business that might cost the business maternity leave. And, and yes, that was Switzerland. And yes, Switzerland was and is behind. You know, they didn't get women didn't get the vote in Switzerland until the 1970s. Uh, and women still have to be home for their children to come home for lunch every day. And this is 2021. They don't feed children at school unless you pay extra. So children come home in the middle of the day and they go back to school. So they expect parents are expect mothers are expected to be home feeding their children. So, you know, I think that from my personal experience, what what leadership needs to do in companies is recognize that if they don't change the way that they support and nurture women in their businesses, they will lose women. And I can tell you uh, as an individual, you know, and also with all the women that I work with, we're doing better financially on our own than we were when we were working in corporate. And it might've taken me 20 years to get back to my corporate salary or anywhere near there, which I'm not quite there yet, but I'd still rather be doing what I'm doing 
than working for a corporate in that sense where I don't have the support and flexibility that I need for me and my family. So I, I do think the pandemic has um, massively changed and opened eyes from a corporate level, from a leadership level. I think people realize, hey, actually, we can be flexible. We can work with people. People can work from home and we, you know, people can get the job done in their own on their own terms. And I think that's been a blessing. You know, I know the pandemic wasn't a blessing to a lot of people, but that's one of the blessings it gave to women who are able to work flexibly. And let's be honest, not all women are able to work flexibly. And there's different jobs that are harder to do uh, flexibly and online. But for those of us who have flexibility and can work online, it was it was a massive move forwards. It's not a perfect move, but I think leadership really has to acknowledge that if they don't change, they will lose women. And it's not a, it's not a good long-term solution to not have women. It's not a good long-term solution to not have diversity. You need women, you need diversity. And you know it's a very important aspect of innovation and growth and new viewpoints. People need new viewpoints. You know, It's not about, does someone fit our culture? It's what do they add to our culture? How do they make our culture better? And what do they bring to the table that makes us a more aware company? I completely agree with that, Joy. Thank you so much for sharing your story about that. And I also wanted to share, if it's okay with you, briefly one of my experiences in in solidarity with what you're saying. Around the time that I just had my daughter, who's about to turn nine, and my son, who's now 10, about to turn 11, was, was a toddler, I was approached about a trustee role of quite a big charity by a recruitment consultant, who I won't name here, who said to me, how are you going to juggle this role uh, alongside being a new And my husband, who was also looking for jobs around that time, was never once asked, how are you going to juggle this role alongside being a new dad? And as you say, there are karmic consequences for that. So recently, someone mentioned that recruiter to me and said, should we work with them on this really big piece of of recruitment for some new senior leaders? And I said, no, because this happened to me. Yeah, absolutely. There's major consequences in not opening up your eyes. I mean, I think what we're seeing now, too, is Stuff that was like people never thought it was going to surface, you know, emails that people were sending each other, text messages that they were sending each other, private conversations that were happening 20 years ago. They're surfacing now. You know, those videos are surfacing now. Those stories are surfacing now. And so I think it's just a really good idea to check yourself and as a, as a leader in a company and say, you know, what is the long-term consequence of me not being open-minded to the changes that we need to bring on? And what's the long-term benefit of being open-minded and making these changes, right? Yeah, and Zoe, you just shared yesterday on on Twitter the fact that Portugal is starting to make some big changes around many aspects of employment. But one of those aspects was parents having the right to work from home without arranging with their employer, for example, which is incredible, really. Um, Thinking about the the impact that that would have on the lives of many women and, and men who are having to make hard decisions about where they are, you know, where they're working day to day, they don't have the flexibility that we might all enjoy, you know, being able to work from home all the time because of that, that childcare thing. So these things are starting to happen, but it's just a such a, um, a slow, a slow burn, I guess. I suppose the pandemic sped it up. And that's, that's the one thing you could argue is that these changes we've been fighting for them for a long time. I remember meeting with, um, I had a private dinner once at the House of Lords with Dame Stephanie Shirley, and it was very impactful. And I remember her saying, I'm still shocked that we haven't, there's not, that there's not equality. Like she was, you know, and I think there's all sorts of numbers and statistics out there, but we're like 99 years away from parity still, still. And she just, she remembers thinking, 
I thought by the time I was, you know, retired or where she was in her life, that this would have been solved. And she was still shocked that it wasn't, you know, and, and she made major inroads for women. You know, she built a business that ended up being a three billion pound business. She's invested tens, if not hundreds of millions into autism research to make the world a better place. You know, women, when they succeed are very likely to reinvest that money back into the community to make it better. And, you know, the the faster we can get women to be successful, the faster society gets better and improves because it's almost like it's been run by half the population for a very long time and we need the whole population involved. We certainly do. And I always like to bring some of these discussions back. As as Zoe will know, I've probably got a deep underlying need or want to to do a football podcast. But one of the things that I was listening to this morning was Ian Wright talking about um, Emma Hayes. And I'm not sure whether you've come across Emma Hayes, but Emma Hayes is the, um, the manager of Chelsea. And she's often cited as the first female manager that will probably get a job in the in, in the male game, which would be an absolutely earth shattering moment, I think. And it's, it's things like pop, popular culture and sport and those sorts of things that have that massive cultural impact that will really force those changes through so it's just topical because I was listening to um, Ian Wright talking about it this morning and talking about her role and the way that she sees the game and you're right there's you know 50% of the population being completely ignored in terms of that game but the um, the huge impact and the rise of the of the female game in in the world so it's, it's relevant to you because of the sporting background as well. So. Oh yeah well I have huge respect for her and of course I am the secretary of our football club and the the leader of the girls football program for Donington. Uh, and we went, we started with like three girls and we now have 24 regular attendees. We have two teams of 15 girls. We're fourth on the leaderboard in our league at the moment. And, you know, we've built that from nothing, but I think it, it, it takes, it's really interesting with the girls football because no one stepped up. No one said, I'll, I'll do this. And I know nothing about football. In fact, the one thing I know about football is my mother said, when you played football, you used to just come over to the side of the pitch and just stop playing and draw pictures instead. Like that was my experience with football. Well, I went away for one week a couple of years ago and I came back and my husband's like, oh, I signed you up to like be the secretary of the club and also run the girls football team. And I was like, you did what? And, you know, <laughs> and I didn't know anything about football. And I, and even my daughter and I were having this conversation the other day. We used to walk to football and very reluctantly, we we're like, we don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. But my husband had made the commitment that we were going to help the club and that's what we were going to do. But eventually I showed up every week and I started learning how the game was played and I started learning how I could be a better coach and started learning about how I could work with the girls to be better football players. And, you know, we have we're having a ridiculously successful year this year, our very first year in the league. And, and really, it's about stepping up. And, and, you know, one of the beautiful things that happened to England was England football and, you know, the progress that, that it made. And I think that that reflected on the growth in the girls game. But if, you know, it's a little bit like I'm from America. So Title IX was the game changer for women's sports in America. The reason women's sports took off in America was because they put in rules that said, if you're going to spend this much on men's sport, you got to spend this much on women's sport and we're going to equalize the game. That's why America took off with female sports because there was a massive investment at the the collegiate level to balance out the expenditure on football, right? American football. And, And so it does take investment. It takes someone caring, and then it takes people to step up and take those roles. Like Emma, you know, I'm gonna step up, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna be the leader. And there's probably days she doesn't wanna lead, but she is the leader and she's gonna embrace that role and take that role forwards. And, you know, football management, that's a tough career. That's my husband is one of the, he's the head of performance for the league managers association. And one of the things that he's learned in that 
role is that football managers have a very short shelf life and they're more like consultants. You know, they go into work for somebody and it's not a long-term relationship. They're not invested in long-term, you know, so they've got a short period of time to make a big impact and then they move on. And it's a, it's an interesting career, but regardless of what kind of a career it is, it, it takes investment, it takes time, it takes support, it takes nurturing, and it takes people raising their hand, even though they don't know what they're doing to say, I'm going to go into this because it's good for girls, or it's good for women, or it's good, you know, and the best people to do that, actually, ironically, can be the male champions. The best thing that can happen to Emma is people who are further up in the line who are men can champion her because that will help break her in a lot easier into the male dominated game because she'll have allies. And I think that's important for men to realize that they have a role to play. They can sit back and watch someone fight their way to the top, or they can go alongside and help them get to the top. And I think that's really important for people to understand. And it goes both ways, you know, in female driven careers, you can help men get into those careers just as much as men can help women get into male-driven careers, if that makes sense. Definitely. And actually, to come back to the uh, story that I shared earlier about the um, recruitment consultant, uh, the person that I was telling that story to who was wondering whether to go with that recruiter or not was a man. Uh, He was a leader in his organisation. As soon as he heard that story, he said, no, I am not working with those people. That's allyship, isn't it? Yeah, that is allyship. And that's and 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 you can do that for uh gender, you can do that for race, you can do that for socioeconomic backgrounds, right? So what people don't realize is it's not just about equality, gender equality, right? It's also about racial diversity, it's also about socioeconomic diversity, it's about understanding why someone's in a socioeconomic position that might be lower than somebody else and how you lift them up as well. You know, it's all about rising the tide, you know, the rising tide raises all boats. And I think that's a really important concept to understand that if you can be an ally, you should be an ally. And uh, and, in 99 times out of 100, you can be an ally for someone in some way. It feels almost um, reductive to go to where I sort of thought we'd sort of end with the conversation now because we're, we're hitting some really interesting territory. So you, you started this side gig in a football leadership role for your, your girls team. What have you learned there that you've been able to transfer them back into the in, into the business? Is there anything that you could sort of put your 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 finger on that you've you've sort of taken and, and now applying to the work that you do with women day to day? Do you know I've done the I think I've almost done the opposite, you know, because I didn't know anything about football. I thought, okay, you know what I know a lot about? The brain. You know, I'm a certified master neuro coach, so I understand how to rewire the subconscious. Uh, I'm a certified dream builder coach, so I know how to help people understand their vision and lean into it and take steps toward that vision. So I thought, and one thing I know about sports, and you'll know this too, Paul, it's not actually about the technique. At some level, it's about what's what you're, you know, you have to have basic technique, but you can have two football players, one that's got good technique and a bad mindset, and one that's got okay technique and a great mindset. And you put them in a in a match and the person that's going to win is probably the one with the better mindset and the decent technique versus the one with really good technique, but bad mindset. And so that's what I took to the football game. And in fact, it was really interesting because um, I, I couldn't coach the under 11s last week. Um, I mean, the under 12s last week, I had to coach the under 11s. And what I realized was they had the skills, but they had lost the confidence. They had two weeks off, you know, it was half term, they'd come back and they were up against a team that they could beat. They 100% could beat this team. But there was a point in the match where I could tell that if I didn't start feeding 
to them the thoughts that they needed to start thinking that the match was not going to come out the way we wanted it to. And it was really interesting. So I have a couple of things that I say, but, you know, things like you can do this and, you know, stay focused. And, and it's the difference of saying to girls, don't get distracted or don't lose your focus. There's a big difference between don't get distracted and don't lose your focus and stay focused. You can do this. They send very subtle subliminal messages. And, and I guarantee you, if the, if it clicks, the one that's going to work is the one that's positive, you know, the positive mental attitude, the PMA. So what I did was I was shouting like, go, 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 you can do this press, blah, blah, blah. And so afterwards, the parents were like, oh my gosh, I'm going to hear your voice in my dreams. And, 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 and what I had to explain to the parents was, I had to give them the thoughts that they weren't giving themselves. And I had to repeat it over and over and over again, because my voice was louder, became louder than their inner voice. And the crazy thing is we were, we were one nil and then it went one, one, and then it went two one. And then I thought in my head, I thought that I thought it went three, one, but actually it stayed two, one. We leveled it up two two. And then I'm going, going, go, come on girls, you can do this. And in my head, I'm thinking, we're just going to, we're going to, we're going to end it. A win today is three, three. A win today is three all. So I'm just pushing, pushing, pushing. And nothing about technique. It was all about mental fortitude. You know, you can do this. You can do this. Anyway, right at the last minute, get a goal in. Everyone's freaking out. The other team's not freaking out. And I'm thinking, wait, maybe we just won this match. I turned to my assistant, the, the other coach. And she's like, uh, yeah, she's like, we won. It was three, two. So we pulled this, we pulled this win off three, two. You know, and I said to the girls afterwards, that had nothing to do with technique. That had to do with your brain switching on and realizing you could do it. And then you started looking for all the possibilities to do it. And that's why we won, you know? And so I, I think, yes, there's an element that I can take. You know, the one thing that's nice about sport is, you know, it's kind of one, it's done. You know, you go out there to do the matches, it's done in an hour and a half. And with business, it just drags on and on and on, you know, like, it's you know it's year after year month after month and and then and you don't necessarily have these these moments of you know sometimes you do but it's not the same as it is in sports so I think one of the advantages of doing both sport and business is you get you get the the thrill of both and you know you get the disappointment of both and you get to work through both of those and I think that's a choice that we all get to make that I don't love the lows but I do love the highs and let's bring the lows up and let's keep the highs going higher and I think that's where a sport and business do really well. And I know for me personally, when I'm out doing my runs and my own personal fitness and, and staying healthy in myself, I'm a better business owner. So, you know, it all sort of translates, but I'll tell you what, there's nothing like coming in on a Saturday morning after being outside, whether it's rain, wind, whatever, you've been outside for you know two, three hours, that fresh air, and you come in and you just feel like you've accomplished something. And, and that's one of the things I really love about sport and, and just reminding yourself, of what you've accomplished. And you need to do that in business too. You need to look at the, the accomplishments every day, every night I write down before I go to bed, I'm looking for my notebook here, but every night before I go to bed, I write down three accomplishments from the day. What did I learn? What did I do? Right. And, and sometimes I write down 10 because I get, I get so excited about all the things I've done, <laughs> but you have to win every day to win every month. You know, if you're winning every day, you're going to win every week. If you win every week, you're going to win every month. If you win every month, you're going to win every year. It's about looking for the really good things that are happening in your life and grateful people expect great things to happen to them. And that's the blessing that you get by looking at the great things that happen to you every day.
Amazing. Thank you so much, Joy. I think that is a wonderful, wonderful note to to end on, that inspiration. And I also love that this has kind of become a sport for slash leadership podcast today. And as you say, there's so many transferable lessons that apply to business as well, and also to all of our own journeys as entrepreneurs. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, thank you. And I was just thinking as, as we were going there, you know, looking at every project that comes in as a, as the, the next match, you know, giving it all your energy, seeing it through, you know, thinking about the the, the way it's brought together in, in terms of timelines and halves and all that sort of stuff. I'm starting to think, oh, yeah, I can bring much more um, sporting analogy into the work that I'm doing day to day. And ultimately, it's all about transformation, right? That's um, that's where we sort of started this this conversation. So uh, you're, you're completely staying on brand. So Thank you very much for joining us and thanks for your time. Just one thing to end on, and I know it's all over your website, but give you a chance to to sort of say so. If anyone's listened to this and thought, that's it, I'm leaving my job. I need to get in touch with Joy and I need to go and do something else. Where can they where can they find you? Yeah, techfixies.com and we're also techfixies on all the social media channels. And you know, we believe very strongly that transformation comes with a proven roadmap and coaching support. And that's what we do at Tech Pixies. We give you a proven roadmap and we coach you through it. And it's much easier and a lot more fun to do it with support. And so yeah, go check us out if you're interested in social media training or if you're interested in life coaching or neuro coaching. We're going to be doing some uh, some amazing stuff in 2022 and we'd love to have you involved. Well, thank you. And I'm sure people will get in touch. So thank you to Joy and thank you to listening to episode five of season four of Starts at the Top. We'll be back in a fortnight with Tom Loosemore of Public Digital. As usual, please send us your feedback. We'd love to hear about anything that you feel that you will do differently after hearing from or any of our speakers from the series. You can share your plans, ideas or questions with us on Twitter. We're at, at Starts at the Top 1 and you can email us at Starts at the Top podcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. See you in a couple of weeks.